Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss you're listening to the Cersei podcast network i'm joshua gibbs and this is proverbial the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in proverbs by which i mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special Episode 69, Prometheus. Today's proverb is unattributed. I'll read it twice. God doesn't give with both hands. Once more. God doesn't give with both hands. For good reason, there are not many proverbs about God. When I think of Proverbs about God, I think of this one, and I think of God helps those who help themselves, neither of which are easy for Christians to stomach. And again, I think there's a pious reason for this. I think there's a good reason for it. But I believe that these Proverbs need to be understood as Proverbs, not metaphysical claims about the nature of God. They're best understood from a phenomenological standpoint, which is to say this is how it appears. God doesn't give with both hands is an assessment of the way that talents and gifts seem to be distributed among men. Now, the proverb is not denying that God is generous, nor is it really about the generosity of God. It's about something which is far more born of nature, fate, happenstance, serendipity. So in order to begin explaining this proverb, I would like to go a long way back, all the way back to the story of Prometheus and Epimetheus, his brother. Prometheus and Epimetheus were tasked 
with populating the world with creatures. And Epimetheus had the first crack at it. And he created all the animals. He created eagles, tigers, the barracuda. He created all the, all the creatures of land, sea, and air. And to each of these animals, Epimetheus gave some special skill, some unique privilege, some uh, means of self-defense. So the eagle can fly, it has great eyesight, tigers are fast and they're strong, snakes have poison, various animals have sharp teeth, sharp claws, they have speed, there are some uh, undersea creatures that can squirt ink at their enemies and create cloaks for themselves by which they can escape danger. Epimetheus creates all the animals, and Prometheus, his brother, surveys all the creatures and realizes that man alone is bereft of some way to help himself. Man doesn't have talons, he doesn't have claws, he doesn't have poison, he doesn't have speed. Man is this soft, vulnerable, pudgy creature that is easily made prey of just about everything because man has no way of defending himself, no wings, um, no shell, no exoskeleton. All the fleshy parts are on the outside, not the inside. And so Prometheus determines that man needs some way of keeping himself safe. And so Prometheus scales Mount Olympus and steals fire, which is an icon of wisdom, of rationality. And he brings it back down and he gives man fire. And with fire, with wisdom, man can create all sorts of tools that will approximate the natural gifts of the animal. So man can't fly of his own nature, but he does have wisdom. And so he can craft an airplane to fly in. Man doesn't have poisonous glands in the back of his throat, but he can extract poison from plants. Man doesn't have sharp teeth or talons, but he can fashion swords and knives and spears. And there's nothing that animals have that man can't approximate by way of tools. And the tools are the product of wisdom. I like this parable or this proverb. I think that the proverb, or excuse me, I think that the story of Prometheus explains provides this sort of mythic grounding for the claim God doesn't give with both hands. God doesn't give with both hands means that every creature has something. And by extension, I think we could say that every person has something. That God or nature distributes gifts Two men. I say God or nature not as though they're the same, but nature at the behest of God, nature as the distributing tool of God. 
sort of broadly spreads out various unique abilities. When I say unique abilities, I don't mean unique in the sense that every human face looks different. I mean that everybody has something. Some people are taller than others. Some people are faster than others. Some people are stronger than others. Some people are funnier than others, wittier than others, more beautiful than others. Everybody has something to work with. God doesn't give with both hands means when you discover the leg up that you have, you need to make the most of it that you possibly can and not sit around waiting for some other skill that's more pleasant or more lucrative to use. Now, the saying God doesn't give with both hands has a primary reference point. And if you've heard this proverb before, you've probably heard it as a proverb spoken against beautiful people. And God doesn't give with both hands means that if a person is very beautiful, they are probably not also very funny or PhD level, uh, gifted in terms of knowledge and problem solving and that sort of thing. Now, I think that there's a sense in which this is generally true, not inherently true, but it becomes true either by accident or by common sense. What I mean is that it often happens at an early age, maybe 13, 14, 15, 16. You discover something about yourself where you have an advantage over other people. I'll tell a story that I told at the Circe National Conference last week in an attempt to explain this. When I was 17, I audited a short fiction class at New St. Andrews College. This was my father's idea, not my idea. It was summertime and my father came home one day and said, by the way, I signed you up to take this short story writing class being taught by Doug Jones. At that point in my life, I was not a writer. I had not produced any significant amount of fiction on my own, any real fiction on my own, since the stories I wrote about the Ninja Turtles back when I was nine years old. I wrote Ninja Turtles fan fiction when I was nine. Apart from that, at the age of 17, I had no writing portfolio to speak of. I was a miserable student in school, not a writer, and so it came as a bit of a surprise when my father said, I signed you up for this short fiction class. So the format of the short fiction class was we would spend the front half of the class reading short stories, discussing them, discussing theories of uh, rising tension and character development and this sort of thing. And in the back half of the class, it would be a workshop where we would all write stories and we would all hand them out. And then we would be criticized, critiqued 
by everybody in the class. And the rule of a workshop, if you've ever been to one, is that you really just have to sit there and take it while people berate and insult your story. You're not allowed to defend it. Maybe you get to say a word at the very end uh, in your own defense. So first four weeks, we read stories, a lot of stories from The Atlantic, The New Yorker, Plowshares, this sort of thing. This is 1998, some great stories written that year. And then we started writing. And I think that there were eight, nine, 10 of us in the class. Almost everybody, everybody was older than me. Everybody else in the class was 21 or 22. There were even some grad students that were in the class, including future New St. Andrews president, Dr. Ben Merkel. And so everybody had a good deal more experience than I did. When the time came for our first workshop, we all brought our stories to class. And Doug Jones, who was the teacher of the class, said, no friends in a workshop. Leave your friendships at the door. This is a place for brutal honesty, not flattery. And then he tore all of our stories to pieces. And he complained about all of them. He pointed out the flaws in all of them, all the ways in which we had failed to imitate the stories we had read weeks earlier. And at the end of the class, he said, all right, back to the drawing board, everybody. So we come back. Second round of stories. And once again, everyone's story is ripped apart. Everyone's story is... I would even say insulted for being trite, shallow, mediocre. And so I had one more shot. There were three stories that we would workshop. And I went home, back to the drawing board, tried something completely different. And I tried this sort of Atlantic-style story with this open, very oblique sort of ending just like the kind we had read. And I brought that to class. And then, then the workshop for the third story, Jones opens the workshop with, once again, no one's story was any good. Except for Josh's, his was merely okay. And that was when I knew I wanted to be a writer. That was when I knew, that's when I decided to become a writer. And after having done very little writing in my whole life prior to that class, I began writing intently, devotedly. There hasn't been a week of my life that's gone by since in the last 24 years that I have not written. And it all came because someone said I was slightly better than a small room full of people at something that, at the time, I barely cared about. But I remember thinking, all the way back at 17, this is something I've got. This is some advantage. This is some minute leverage I have over other people. I've got to make the most of it. I've got to throw everything I've got at 
at writing because I have someone who I respect and who's hard to impress who claimed I was just an inch ahead of other people. And at the time, I had nothing else to go on. I was 17. I had an eye cast at college. I was worried about my future, and that's what it was. It was something that small. God doesn't give with both hands, and so when I perceived a gift, no matter how small, no matter how uncoiled the gift, I had to go for it. And I think that this is simply the way that a lot of people come into the labor that characterizes their lives. You realize that you have some sort of gift of gab. That when words are on the line, when talking is on the line, you're just a cut above everyone else. And you realize that you might be able to make your way in the world with this slight excellence that you have. Now, this is really nothing other than a sort of common sense, non-mythic approach to the myth of the metals from Plato's Republic and the principle of specialization that governs the just city in Plato's Republic. For Plato, everybody does one thing and does it well. And the just city thrives when every person is committed to the labor for which they have some gift, no matter how small. And the city begins to fall apart. The just city begins to produce winners and losers, drones that feed off of society as opposed to benefiting it. As soon as you have competition and competition emerges whenever people quit doing what they are best at. When people quit the gifts of nature, deny the gifts of nature, and seek out their own preferences instead, their lives often enter into this kind of contradictory state. So if nature gifts you with great height, and you're six foot eight by the time you're 17, use that for your advantage. If you're six foot eight, don't try to become an attendant on an airplane. Don't, don't join the Navy and try to get into a submarine if you're six foot eight. Those things will work against you. Six foot eight is the sort of height whereby you wouldn't be a fool to try to throw uh, your lot into some kind of sport where height is an advantage. I think that we, we like the idea that people are born with gifts. We like the idea that nature affords people certain advantages and that you ought to use the gifts that you have. There are a few areas in which the idea of nature bestowing gifts on people really rubs us the wrong way. And so I'd like to take a turn here 
while still staying on the proverb, God doesn't give with both hands, and, and try to make a few comments about the original purpose of the quote or the original meaning of the quote, which does have to do with human beauty. Now, as I've noted many times in articles that I've written, human beauty is a deeply offensive topic to speak honestly about. And Christians do not like honest conversations about human beauty. We really prefer all conversations about human beauty to be conversations about righteousness or goodness, not physical beauty. Because physical beauty is a gift. It is a profound gift, which is indifferently given to people and unevenly given to people. And when I say indifferently, I mean beauty is a highly sought-after thing. Beauty is a very valuable commodity. And many people who are unrighteous and wicked end up with it. Beauty is a very dangerous gift to have. Given the sort of fame which attaches itself to beauty, the temptations that come with beauty are also rather remarkable. It seems that the temptations that go along with beauty uh, might be even greater than the sort of temptations that come along with being very clever or very fast. Not all the gifts are the same. Not all of nature's gifts, not all of God's gifts are equally lucrative. Beauty is the sort of gift that is profoundly lucrative for a very short period of time. So unlike, say, uh, a gift of wit, or I mean, you could be Bob Hope in his 80s, still living on his wits, beauty tends to be more short-lived. But our society, in the last 100 years especially, while continuing to prize and reward beauty, I think over the last 10 years, there's a kind of war is probably an overly dramatic term, but there's a bitterness against human beauty over the last 10 years that is working itself out in bizarre ways in our society. Now, in acknowledging that human beauty is uh, a great gift, a lucrative gift, but also a very dangerous gift and a short-lived gift. I don't mean to exonerate any of the excesses that surround beauty. Especially not, say, all the excesses that surround beauty as it's uh, witnessed in like the modeling industry or the fashion industry or something like that, which seems to be as gross and immoral or amoral uh, as it gets. So I'm not, I want to say a few things about human beauty and I want to acknowledge here first that I'm not, I'm not sticking up for the fashion industry across the board. And I'm more than willing to acknowledge that the fashion industry is quite shallow and has a tendency of making people shallow who enter into it. But let me, let me throw out this claim. There's nothing wrong with making sweaters, and there's nothing wrong with showing pictures of people wearing sweaters in a catalog. Like pick up any J. Crew catalog and there's some people in there wearing sweaters for you to look at so that you know what the sweater looks like. Now the sort of people that end up 
in a J. Crew catalog are beautiful people, handsome people. At least this is the way it was up until about 10 years ago. And in the last 10 years, it has become very chic to hire models that are not, you could either say not conventionally beautiful or just not beautiful. And there's even a sort of market for models with deformities, missing limbs, missing features on their faces. And there's fashion companies, clothing companies that go after people uh, and hire models just because they're unique. And unique is probably the friendly term to put for it. But there's a desire to claim, I think, underneath this, that there's really no such thing as beauty of the human form. And that's probably because, as a society, we no longer believe that the human form even exists. And in denying that the human form exists, we deny that there's any excellence or gift of the human form. And so now, the most enlightened companies uh, have turned against beautiful people and are attempting to find non-beautiful people and to congratulate themselves for just how open-minded and forgiving they are. Now, the thing about human beauty is that uh, there are different sorts of human beauty. In the same way that it takes an hour of gazing at a Caravaggio to really understand it, there are human faces that will not become beautiful until you have stared at them for a long time. Which is why husbands don't look at their wives the way that other people do. Not only are they interpreting the face of their spouse from a position of love, devotion, obligation, piety, but they've also simply learned to see the face of their spouse differently. In the same way that you train your eye to see a Caravaggio differently the longer you look at it. And that is a real kind of human beauty. But when I say conventional human beauty, I mean the sort of face that could launch a thousand ships. I mean the sort of beauty that is readily acknowledged numerous places in scripture. When Sarai is declared beautiful, David is declared beautiful. Scripture in the New Testament has some very pointed things to say about the difference between adorning the outward appearance and a quiet spirit. And yet scripture does not deny that some people are beautiful and beauty is attractive. So God doesn't give with both hands means that you, that a just society, that a well-functioning society needs to allow people to capitalize on whatever advantages that nature has given them. Which means you need to let beautiful people wear sweaters in the J. Crew catalog. That is one of those things that they are suited to. 
And there's nothing shallow about this. There's nothing more shallow about that than becoming famous and leveraging your quickness or your wit to make your way in the world. Now, I know that when I say this, it's, it's really hard to feel a lot of pity for beautiful people. And there's even something sort of comic about trying to dredge up sympathy for the beautiful. As I mentioned in an episode um, several weeks ago, it's really hard to feel bad for Brad Pitt, not only because he's rich, but because he's, he's very handsome. And we like to say, falsely of course, uh, that people who have great material advantages, whether it's beauty or it's money, can't ever really suffer all that much because for the people who do not have beauty and do not have money, there really is no higher gift than you can conceive of, at least if you don't have much of an imagination. Now for the person with an imagination, for the person who's read a lot of novels and um, you know, seen the sorts of films that bear repeat viewing over and over again, you know that neither beauty nor money can really keep you from misery. But the fact that, the fact that beautiful people are often treated better, uh, that beautiful, there's a kind of celebrity that goes along with beauty. There's a kind of fame that goes along with beauty, whether you, uh, whether people know your name or not, everybody knows that beautiful people receive uh, superior treatment uh, in, in the public marketplace than the non-beautiful people. Um, it's easy to be jealous of them for that and to be jealous of the way that beautiful people sometimes have easier lives or what we perceive to be easier lives. But I think it's worth noting that this proverb, God doesn't give with both hands, means that everyone needs to have a... I think that this proverb is a plea for something like universal pity for mankind. That everybody is merely trying to make it with what little thing they have. And that once you identify what little thing you have that others don't, it's really common sense to just throw your weight into it. And there's a kind of desperation that emerges when you throw your full weight, the full weight of adult maturity, fiscal responsibility for yourself and other people. When you throw this into, put all your eggs in the basket, whatever basket it is that you were given. And this is true for beautiful people just as well as it's true for nuclear physicists and stand-up comedians and people that are seven foot one and playing basketball. Everybody's got their one thing. You've only got your one thing. Well, it's not the only thing you have, but it's the only thing you have to make your way in the world to keep yourself above water. And for that reason, you've got to be kind to people and they're one thing.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.